Good morning Good morning From the Mid-South Van Studio in Hernando, Mississippi, Rooster Production presents Under the Water Tower. And now, here are your hosts, Derek Biglane and Matt Crane. Morning, Matt. Morning, Derek. Good morning, Kanye. Music this morning brought to you from Kanye West because, some of you may know, some of you may not, Kanye West has made the ballot, the presidential election ballot in Mississippi. <laughs> you told me that this morning when we got here, uh, or texted me that last night. So um, what did he have to do again, Derek? You read that to me. What right, did so he have to tw- do? He, so t- in order to become a presidential candidate to be, you know, for, for at least for the state of Mississippi, $2,500 fee, 1,000 signatures. So he's able to get the, you know, obviously I, I think he could probably find the change in the couch for the $2,500 right. fee. Well, I, th- I figured there may be a GoFundMe page. Maybe Go for the Maybe go fund me. And then uh, one. And no, one, his would be a GoFundG. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, and then one, also one thousand signatures. So somebody passed something around, got him signed. Uh, so he is on the ballot in Mississippi. Uh, he's also on the ballot. Uh, he's also qualified for Arkansas, Idaho, Iowa, Tennessee, Oklahoma, and Utah. I could not find where he has actually been on the Wyoming ballot yet, which is of course where his ranch is in Cody, Wyoming, along with his running mate Michelle Tidball. Yeah, looking here, M- Michelle Tidball seems to be a fifty-seven-year-old spirit coach who obviously is maybe his uh, spiritual advisor there in Wyoming close to him so it's very interesting I mean you know in today's world uh, not surprising uh, it's been a big splash uh, national news with Kanye making this run or, or definitely getting in the race to bring some of his issues uh, to light pretty, pretty interesting he's going to be on the Mississippi ballot coming up November 3rd the ballot is as Matt said on November 3rd the ballot has been released the official ballot there are no more changes that will be done of course as we mentioned a couple times the absentee ballot will begin on August 20, uh, excuse me, September 21st, and so you'll have those, and of course there are a couple new rules and new ways you can qualify to do that, but the ballot is now set in stone. It's about three pages. We will post it to our Facebook page. That's right. At Under the Water Tower, excuse me, UTW Podcast, UTW Podcast. Look for that today. After the podcast drops, we will put that on our Facebook page to if, if you can look at it just to kind of make yourself familiar, but Kanye uh, will be listed as the last presidential candidate, of course, with all the other ones. Uh, so look for that. And speaking of ballot, we also have a, a special uh, show for you today because we have our first interview. Uh, our first interview with Mississippi Supreme Court Justice Josiah Coleman. That's right. Josiah Coleman, uh, Supreme Court Justice. District 3, seat 3, uh, will, be, will be running against Percy Lynchard, uh, a Hernando resident, coming up in November. Supreme Court Justice Josiah Coleman, his campaign reached out to us, uh, said, hey, we're like, we like what you guys are doing on the podcast. Uh, we'd like for um, Supreme Court Justice Coleman to come on and, and visit with you guys and speak and that's exactly what we did and just so before we uh, play our interview recorded earlier from the Mid-South Van Studios uh, just a reminder this may not be a political show but we definitely will have an opportunity or have a goal to discuss politics with local politicians even statewide politicians I think we've even reached out to Kanye West earlier this week uh, already for a statewide uh, elections um, talk so it may not be a political show but we're definitely going to have opportunities for candidates but both locally uh, and then statewide to have an opportunity to uh, to meet them, get to know them a bit better, who they are, and we're going to offer that uh, obviously to both sides um, each and every time. Yeah, we're, we're going to try to cover both sides. So again, anybody, any candidate is running, we'd welcome. You know, we will have interview with the mayor. We will have interview with Alderman. Uh, we're looking to have a, a planning commissioner uh, be on our Tuesday show next week. We're reaching out. We, we people have requested they want to hear from the local leaders, state leaders, and so you know we're going to do our best to do that. But we do appreciate uh, Justice Coleman for reaching out to us, and um, you know, and just it was a, an interview that I enjoyed. Just 
if you're interested in coming on the show uh, and also whether you're looking to run for a position or just to give us updates, we will be reaching out to you. Or if you want to reach out to us, please find us at underthewatertowerinfo at gmail.com, underthewatertowerinfo at gmail.com, or reach out to us personally. And without further ado, here's the our first guest, our first interview for the Under the Water Tower podcast, Supreme Court Justice Josiah Coleman, District 3, Seat 3 candidate. Justice Josiah Coleman, who represents District 3, Seat 3 on the Mississippi Supreme Court. Welcome to the podcast, Justice Coleman. Thank you very much. It is good to be here today. All right, so we've been doing this about five weeks now, and uh, Justice Coleman is our first interview, so I hope that the the crowd uh, gives us a little leeway. He was in town, reached out to us, and wanted to uh, just kind of talk to us about you know what he's done, and so we're really looking forward to this. And uh, again, I just want to kind of start, kind of tell us where you grew up and uh, you know what area of the, of the state. I grew up outside a little town called Ackerman, Mississippi, down in Choctaw County. It's a uh, grew up on a farm that when I was a child was being owned was owned and being run by my grandfather. Um, it's a land that's been most of that land's been in our family for six or seven generations. So we've been there a while. I grew up there, graduated from Ackerman High School in 1991. Thought I'd never go back, frankly, but then uh, I got elected to the court. And of course, the job on the Supreme Court's in Jackson. You have to be down there two or three days every week. Uh, So the opportunity came for me to move back. And so now I'm living there again in the same house I grew up in with uh, my wife and three children. Oh, that's that's great. I'm born and raised in Natchez, so my family's still down there. And I I don't know if I ever moved back there like you did, but uh, it is nice to go home. And that's that's great that you get there. It's it's good to be back. I'm watching my, my kids learn to fish in the same little pond I fished bluegill out of and, and play in the same creeks. It's, it's really great. That's awesome. All right. So I know uh, you said that you graduated in 91. Uh, how did you get, what kind of led you into law and uh, where did you get your start in law? Well, I, I come from a family of lawyers. I'm a third generation attorney. I'm a third generation appeals court judge. Um, so obviously you grow up with that. I grew up with, you know, watching my dad go to depositions and go to trials. I remember watching him try a, a murder case in Ackerman in Choctaw County with my grandfather. They were defending a, a woman who was later convicted of killing her husband. And so it was an exciting thing. Um, I think that uh, though what cemented it was getting to college and Figuring out pretty quickly, I didn't want to go to medical school and enjoying philosophy classes and this kind of arguments and discussions. Uh, and that's also when I took a philosophy of law class that got me very interested in the nature of law itself. And so I think that's really what uh, cemented that that was the direction I was going to go in. Again, very similar. I also thought I wanted to be a, a physical therapist. So thought about the medical field, uh, took organic chemistry and decided that was not for me. And um, immediately switched to uh, business school and, and got into banking. So I completely understand. All right. So you got your law degree, uh, I'm assuming, from Ole Miss? Yes, that's correct. Uh, from Ole Miss. And so when you left Ole Miss, uh, where did you get your, your start your law practice? Um, when I first got out of law school in 1999, I clerked for two years for a U.S. magistrate judge in Oxford. Uh, after I left that clerkship, I went and practiced for a firm in Tupelo where I, for, I guess, three years, I, I did medical negligence defense work, defended doctors and nurses that were being sued. And from there, I moved back to Oxford, where I did more of that, plus a good bit of uh, insurance defense work. Tupelo must have been a pretty good city. I- yeah, Tupelo was great. And, and, and you know, it's got, medicine's a big industry in Tupelo. That hospital there is, uh, at one time, I believe it was the biggest rural hospital uh, in, in, in the southeast or maybe even the, the country. I can't remember. So that was a big industry there, and there was a big demand there, for sure. That was a great place to start practicing. And I had a great mentor there as well. How many years did you do that before? Um, I was in Tupelo for, I believe, four years. Four years. And then I was in Oxford practice practicing for maybe seven years before I got on the bench. Uh, what, what kind of uh, interest you in running the first time? Well, 
as I mentioned, I've got family that have been appellate court judges. And so it's something I was always aware of. And I don't know, maybe a six months. Let me, let me back up. Because when I got in the race the first time, I had been married less than two years. In fact, our, the day of our second wedding anniversary was election day in 2012, the day that I won the seat. And when we, I got into the race, it was February or March of 2012. And my wife was seven months pregnant with our first child. So yeah, timing, maybe not the best it could have been. But what interested me is I had people tell me well, two things. First of all, I was encouraged by the fact that people told me that they felt like I would be good at the job, that I had a good disposition to be a judge, uh, the right temperament for it. But also going back to what I was saying earlier, being at Ole Miss and studying the philosophy of law, I just have always been interested in the nature of law, especially in a representative democracy like the one we enjoy how it is that it binds people and how it should be created. And that is something that I studied in law school, reading people like Robert Bork, Antonin Scalia, what they had to say about it. And so I guess it's safe to say I wanted to be an appeals court judge from the time I was in law school. And in 2012, I frankly didn't think I was going to run. I didn't, I, I, there was an open seat, um, but the doors opened and I had this opportunity to run and I took it uh, and got there a little earlier than I thought I was going to. Nice. So how old were you when you were elected the first time? I had just turned, I had just turned 40, 40. three days before the election. In fact, this year, <laughs> this year, election day is uh, on my birthday. Oh. So I guess I can't <laughs> avoid having, having election days on, on, on milestone days. There's, there's the first week of November is kind of. Yeah. November 3rd, <laughs> November 6th. Yes. Oh, well, tell us now that, you know, you've been on the court for eight years and I think that, you know, this is more for my benefit and well as benefits of probably some of the listeners. The judicial side uh, of the three-party system is probably the, the least that I know about. I mean, executive branch, of course, everybody knows. Legislative branch, we hear a lot about. Judicial branch, you know, we only hear it if it's a, it's a large case. Uh, but kind of go over just the, the makeup of the Mississippi Supreme Court, how it's made up. And we'll start there and just kind of you know, educate the the audience on that. Sure. And I'll start by saying you learn pretty quickly as a judicial candidate that um, people are more aware of what the other two branches do. And for, to give some perspective on that, uh, from a budget standpoint, even though the judicial branch is a third branch of government unto itself, we actually, uh, we being the judicial branch, the, our, our share of the state general fund is less than 1% of that fund. Um, and I think people's awareness of what we do um, sort of matches that. A lot of people who are very into politics are, of course, aware of it. But the truth of the matter is, and we can get more into this later because it's, it's not really responsive to your question, is the what the Mississippi Supreme Court does, it really does affect daily lives of, of Mississippians out there. But to answer your question about the organization in the court, there are nine justices and there are three districts. Uh, so each district elects three justices and the terms are staggered. So for example, this year, I'm the only of one of the three justices from North Mississippi who are up for reelection and the other two will be up in four years. And the only other justice this year, there are four of us whose slots are open for reelection. Two didn't get opponents. And so there's only one other contested race in the state this year. But that's basically the basic organization of the court. We right. hear cases from all over the state. Once you're on the court, we don't just hear cases from our district. Once you're on the court, you hear cases from all over the state. We hear every kind of case there is, criminal criminal cases, civil cases. Uh, we spend a lot of our time on post-conviction relief motions, which are not appeals. Those are motions when somebody's already been uh, in, imprisoned and lost their direct appeal. They've got other reasons to attack their conviction or sentence. We spend a lot of time on that. It's a lot. It's a wide range of things that we look at. What um, now? When you said this, the you know kind of you said near the north half, of course, or the north part. Is there three from the south, three from the central, and three from the north? Is that how the, the justice? That's correct. Work? That's correct. And this is this district, this northern district, is 33 of Mississippi's 82 counties. Uh, you mentioned some of the cases that you looked at. What 
what is probably, you know, we hear about, of course, uh, you know, the capital cases, and you, you mentioned some of the others. What is probably the, the cases that come up most often that y'all see or, or have to rule on every year? I, I would say that where we spend the majority of our times in criminal cases. Now, I don't have numbers on that, I, I, and, and so I could stand to be corrected. But my impression doing the work for eight years is that between direct criminal appeals, that is the direct appeals from the guilty verdict and the post-conviction relief motions, I, I mean, my estimate is that between those two, that takes up more than half of our time on the court. Time-wise, I would say that's the most popular thing, or not popular, but the most prevalent thing. Right. And all those cases that you've kind of you've ruled on, I know that's been you know, hundreds, obviously, maybe even thousands over the last eight years. What would be, have there been a couple that have, you know, most affected you or personally that, that have kind of, uh, you know, when you look at or you look back at that have been ruled on and have been judged that you say, you know, that going to sleep at night that night might have been hard or that week or the whole case. Have there been a couple of those that, you know, during your time on the bench? Well, we get we get criminal cases that are tough. You know, the, all of the, we have a court of appeals that we send a lot of appeals to, but the Supreme Court has to keep all the death penalty cases. And there are really tough fact patterns in these criminal cases where people, the defendant uh, has done something really bad, horrible to another person. So oftentimes children, and especially especially since having children of my own, I've got two daughters now, a son, and, and those it's hard for those fact patterns not to kind of to stay with you. It really makes you appreciate because by the time we get those cases on the Supreme Court, we don't, we're not in the courtroom hearing live testimony from the victim. We're reading it in a transcript. Uh, we do sometimes are called upon to look at crime scene photos, but we're not the officers investigating those crimes on the ground that actually encounter those in a much more tangible and direct way. So not only does it stick with me that these events are, are just really hard to handle. It also makes you appreciate the people who are on the ground looking at these things, investigating these things, uh, and taking them to the trial courts and taking them, and the trial judges have to look at it. It's it's tough at that level for sure. Do y'all have, y'all, is, is the governor that, like people that are on death row, what they appeal, do they ever appeal to y'all or is it always directed to the governor? How does that usually work? Well, the, 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 the appeal of their conviction and sentence in court is to us. And, and every death penalty conviction gets an appeal. And so the, 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 the appeal comes to us, and then after the appeal, let's say, for example, there's one and the appeal gets denied, so the, the, the conviction and sentence uh, remain in force, they can then file their post-conviction relief motion, which, which is something that used to be called habeas corpus. And then they can basically bring in evidence from outside of the trial. So an example is that there's DNA evidence that wasn't presented at trial. That's one that you hear about sometimes in the news. And then what, what, what they do with the governor, the governor has the authority under the Constitution to pardon or um, uh, commute sentences. And they will sometimes ap- apply to the governor for that. But, of course, I don't I don't have any direct interaction <laughs> with that and don't really know how it works. Separate branch, separate branch. Thank you. I, I'm, again, I, I know that, uh, again, this is something that I, I still learn. Of course, you know, we have lower courts that are around here uh, being the county seat. Uh, but it is good to know exactly what the Supreme Court, you know, kind of does, you know, basically on a daily basis. All right. So obviously we, we mentioned before that this your seat is up for the election on your birthday. That is uh, correct. And so uh, that, you know, you'll be around, of course, meeting people and, and just kind of talking in that different events. If you are, you know, if you are reelected, if, if the voters look at you and say, that, you know, yes, you've done a great job. We want you in there for another eight years. What is something that you want to see kind of on the bench going forward? What's something that you want to see for the next eight years? Well, I really feel like court that we have now is a very good court. I feel like my the other eight justices and myself, we take our job seriously and we try very hard overall to look at the statutes and follow the law and making our decisions. So one thing I want to see is just to stay on that path. Uh, I think that's why this election is really important is we, we really need to, our state court to stay on that path. We've seen what happens in the past when it doesn't. One of my things I try to do as a justice is just because you know we've been a state since 1820 
1817. We've been, uh, we've had the same constitution since 1890. So there's a lot of history in our cases and you will find, uh, I found this as a, as an attorney arguing appellate cases, you will find divergent authority in cases that, that that's useful to kind of put in the time to track back, to clean up the, the precedent. And so I want to keep working on that, but, um, uh, I would like to see that. I, I, we have one of the most open courts in the country. It was a few years ago. We got graded by some, I can't remember who it was. We had an A grade for our accessibility to the public. We broadcast all of our oral arguments live on the internet. If anybody wants, you can go to our webpage, see our oral argument schedule and watch them live. Uh, we're starting to pick back up with those again too, following the, uh, a little bit of a lull because due to, due to COVID-19. I want to keep, keep that going. I want to make sure that the people of the state have access to their highest court so they know what we're doing and they know what cases we're deciding. I think that's critically important. Thank you. I think what we'll do is uh, I'll make sure that we post a link in the show notes uh, for the podcast uh, to the, the page you're mentioning to watch the uh, oral arguments. We'll make sure we put that in our links. That would be great. Thank page. you. You know, just one of the final questions I have is, you know, obviously, you know, being up for re-election, DeSoto County, why should DeSoto County voters, you know, look to you for the next eight years to be, you know, that one of their representative justices on the court? Well, I think the short answer to that is they can look at what I've done for the past eight years on the court. And I think I've made a record that, that shows that I am academically serious about what the court does. Uh, I've made a record of being fair and deciding cases, you know, the oath to be a, uh, that you take when you assume the bench in Mississippi requires and you know, we take an oath to do the job uh, irrespective of persons is kind of the older language that's in that oath but I think my record reflects that that's exactly uh, what I've done for the past eight years so I've got that record I've got the experience of handling every kind of case that comes before the Supreme Court you know I got 61 percent of the vote in DeSoto County eight years ago uh, and I think that I have for those who voted for me eight years ago I have rewarded that confidence and I, I would like to I guess just ask folks up here to take a look at my record and give me their consideration and hopefully their vote on November 3rd thank you uh, we really do appreciate uh, Justice Coleman being here Justice Coleman any final words that you have uh, before you leave no, I, I appreciate Under the Water Tower. I appreciate y'all for giving me this chance to come up here and speak. And I uh, wish you the best with your podcast. I hope it grows and takes off and, and that y'all do well. I appreciate it. And uh, also to you, good luck on your reelection campaign. And uh, also, if we don't get to talk to you before that, happy birthday on the 3rd. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you again to Mississippi Supreme Court Justice Josiah Coleman. He'll be running District 3, Seat 3, coming up in November. That interview took place at the Mid-South Vans Studios in Hernando, Mississippi. Mid-South Vans has been in business now for five years. Mid-South Vans has 12 and 15 passenger vans available to you for any daily, weekly, or monthly rentals. The team at Mid-South Vans is ready to serve you, your church, or your business for your next travel needs. Please contact them at 662-469-4555. That's 662 662- 469-4555 for any travel need. Also brought to you by The Print House, located at 2462 Church Street, right here in Hernando. Print House is your one-stop shop for printing services. Business cards, banners, screen printing for t-shirts, as well as a showroom full of all your vinyl and t-shirt needs. Whether it's a new logo or marketing plan for your business or a large order of t-shirts for your family reunion or church group, the ladies at The Print House can help. Simply give them a call at 662-298-3105. That's 662-298-3105. Or find them online at theprinthousems.com. Turning to local news, there's a couple of stories on the coronavirus that we have. The first one being the Soto County Schools released this week that they have one of the lowest rate of infections in the state. The infection rate for the Soto County Schools is 0.01%. That's not 1%. That's 0.01%. And that's of 34,000 students in, in the system. That compares to other, a couple other 
I pulled a couple other uh, public school systems. Jackson Public School System, which, of course, in the middle of the state, 0.51% infection rate. Rankin County, 0.14% infection rate. And then Harrison County on the coast, 0.57% infection rate. These are all large school systems, similar in size to DeSoto County. Of course, DeSoto County is the largest, but similar in size. And they are 0.01, so 50 times less than the Jackson Public Schools. So I think it's just a credit to the administrators, uh, to the teachers, uh, to the students and the families doing what they need to do. And so I just want to reach out to that, uh, you know, uh, give a shout out for what they have done. Uh, to date, there have been 85 total cases uh, in, the, in the public schools, and 421 people have had to be quarantined because of those cases. Uh, and then in the last week, uh, just to give you some, you know, just kind of oh, how the trend's looking, in the last week, there were 34 new cases uh, for the public schools and one new case at North Point. So again, great job by all the teachers, administrators, uh, Corey Osselton, Jim Ferguson, you know, just for all that they've done and just continue to do it. Again, parents, continue to let the, the you know, have your children wear the mask. You yourself wear your mask where we need to, and uh, let's continue on. Talked about your, your son's school and high school at North Point, uh, taking a couple of weeks off to uh, be safe and precautious and, and certainly understand that. DeSoto County Schools are doing a great job. I mean, we're finishing up our fourth week. Dropped my daughter off this uh, this morning and uh you know, like I've t- said here on the podcast before, I love seeing all the kids walking to school and, and, and so happy and excited to be with others and be with other other friends and, and, and get to learn. Uh, we worked on some homework last night and caught myself uh, just being very proud that she's learning her shapes and doing all the things that a kindergartner should do. So I'm uh, very proud of her and, and all the DeSoto County schools. Like you mentioned, Corey Usselton, a superintendent who we know personally and uh, always has an opportunity to, to sit here with us and visit with us if he's ever interested. But I know he's certainly busy. So great uh, report there uh, on that um statistic so uh, keep it up guys all right also another coronavirus news uh not such good news at the jail the county jail there were 11 trustees at the soto county jail who did test positive 11 trustees of course these are the ones that are able to get out uh, and do work around the town around the county they tested positive and so because of that all 70 workers and all 450 inmates will now have to be uh, tested you know obviously the People in the jail don't aren't getting out much, uh, so it's more of a, a kind of a contained quarantine thing. But they are going to take precautions. Uh, they're going to test everybody in the jails, and so again, just it, it is still out there, especially in enclosed spaces. We know how important it is to be outside. You know, obviously, if if you're incarcerated, that's that's kind of tough. And so there is a you know hotbed for spread. This is not you know unique to DeSoto County. There's been other places across the nations that have had an outbreak uh, in jails, you know, both public jails and private jails. But it is news. Uh, it is in our area, and so we just want to make you uh, keep you aware, make you updated. Did they mention what the the trustees like? Why were they why were they tested in on the front end or on the fir- in the first place? Showed symptoms. Okay. And so they you know obviously they, they kind of work together when you know if they're out on road crews if they're out around sure. town. And so, you know, the ones that tested positive, they tested those that had been with them or, you know, of course, at their house with them. So I would assume that they're pursuing, I mean, just guessing, they're probably pursuing where these guys went, where these guys worked, where they, you know, where they may have crossed, crossed paths with someone or whatever. So the contract contact tracing that, that goes on is, is pretty simple. Uh, you and I have talked off air about the letters that go out and, you know, one of your, you know, the things that go out from schools and talking about, hey, your, your son or daughter had class with another, another child that tested positive. So, I mean, most people would say what they do is pretty conservative. You and I know, uh, including your son, yeah, we know 
children that have stayed home for quarantine uh, demanded by the school uh, that showed no symptoms, sorry, showed no symptoms or uh, never got to a point where they needed to be tested. So um, very conservative still. You know, we see it on Facebook all the time and different places, different social media places that uh, people are, are, are saying even that is, is a little bit too much. But we can sit here all day and discuss that, but that's not necessarily what uh, what matters. What does matter is it seems like the Soto County schools and the, and the school children of DeSoto County uh, in both private and public are, are having uh, not as normal a school year as you could have. And again, that's a shout out to the administrators and the teachers and stuff uh, who we know uh, love the kids uh, more than anybody. I mean, downward trends in the state, downward trends in the city. Across the country. Downward you know, trends in the school. And so uh, continue to do what you're doing. Let's, let's keep it rolling, uh, especially as we work our way toward uh, fall and, and you know, full season. So Correct me if I'm wrong. By the end of this, by the time you hear this podcast, Governor Reeves will have, um, doesn't he have something today at 2.30 or something? He should. I mean, should, I, you yeah. know, this is, he's been doing it two weeks at a time. It has been two weeks since the last mandate. And so there should be some news. Uh, and of course, if there is news, we'll break that to you. On, sure. You know, we'll go over that on Tuesday. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly cover it on Tuesday. Uh, try and link it on our Facebook page uh, as well uh, if we can uh, this afternoon. Turning away from the virus and to other things in the community, the DeSoto Arts Council has a new exhibit that will be coming out starting next week on September 18th. Uh, the new exhibit will be called Breaking Boundaries. Uh, there will be different uh, works of art just dealing with you know all types of boundaries. It doesn't necessarily have to do with kind of what's current in the news with you know diff- different racial issues. It's more of just a breaking boundaries in all sorts of ways. Uh, there will be paintings. There will be sculptures. There will be artwork of other sorts. And so really encourage you. Again, it will open September 18th. Uh, they will, the items will be available for sale. It will go to October 2nd. So again, if you've never been to the DeSoto Arts Council, uh, it is located in Hernando. Very old city hall on 51, uh, across from Juniors, if everybody knows where that is. And I do encourage you to go. It's a, it's a great uh, museum. It's got a great patio out back. Uh, they usually have parties at least a couple times a month uh, throughout the spring and summer and the fall. However, of course, that has been you know kind of tampered because of the coronavirus. I do encourage you to go to the new exhibit. Uh, they're open from they're open Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 to 2 on Saturdays from 8 to 12. And again, all the most of the things inside are for sale. And of course, and especially those things that will be involved with this exhibit. The Soto Art Council right there, the cross from Coffee Central. Coffee Central. Right across yeah, from Coffee Central, yeah. Right um, Brantley Phillips Senior Home. Uh, they do a great job there, just like on Tuesdays when we do the uh, facts uh, of the week from the DeSoto County Museum. DeSoto County has a lot of those uh, things, especially Hernando has a lot of those uh, neat places that you can go out to and take your children or, or spend some time with your significant other and, and, and see something maybe other than a movie. Or if you're not comfortable going to a movie right now, uh, that may be something else you can can look into on a weekend. Picking the movies, drive a movie, next Next Saturday. Next Saturday, 19th, $5 a car, Renaissance Park. Uh, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. So please, uh, again, let me remind you that. Look for that again. And finally, for those, uh, for the local news, I know some people uh, are interested in the planning commission that happened uh, this past Tuesday. We are tabling that. We're tabling that discussion. Of course, the planning commission meets once a week, once a month, excuse me. It did happen on Tuesday. We are having a one of the commissioners come on. There will be an interview topic that I mentioned earlier in this podcast uh, on Tuesday. And so we're going to uh, hold the conversation. I'll talk about the planning commission for that time and that day. And so we, we look forward to having them on and then uh, having that discussion. And will also be used because whatever was approved this past Tuesday at the planning commission, of course, will be looked at at the Alderman meeting that night next Tuesday. That's exactly so again, right. So, again, we'll use the uh, preview of the uh, Alderman meeting. We'll go over the planning commission 
commission, I guess, kind of what was discussed with the planning commissioner. Right. Uh, and we've, I've had a chance to talk with the, the commissioner a, a little bit. They did have quite a bit of discussion about Madison Lakes, which is that's one of the main things going on right now. Of course, Madison Lakes is on the northeast side of uh, Mackinville and Bahalia, southeast side of Green Tea and Mackinville. That's that huge property, um, a n- number of different things and, and stuff going behind, on with that property. Behind Hernando Hills. Exactly. Right. Behind Hernando Hills where they're bringing in the Mackinville exit off 69. That's what Madison Lakes is. So that'll that'll be a, a big topic for you know probably another <laughs> quite a while maybe until they get everything begun or, or approved. So we hope to have that interview to you by Tuesday. Local headlines brought to you by Magical Destinations of Hernando. Whether it's that trip to Disney World, Universal Studios, or that tropical getaway, these ladies can help you plan the trip of your dream. They work to get you the best rates with headache-free planning. Magical Destinations is locally owned and operated right here in Hernando. Give them a call today to start planning your magical getaway. That phone number is 901-486-1702. That's 901-486-1702. Or check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Magical Destinations Unlimited. That's Facebook and Instagram at Magical Destinations Unlimited. Thank you for being a sponsor of our local headlines for the weekend. Did you catch the game last night? I did catch the game last night. Uh, good to have the NFL back. And actually, Derek, what, one, one thing real quick, if we're going to talk about football, uh, what some people don't know is I had an opportunity to, one of my favorite things to do in the fall is be the announcer for the Hernando Middle School Tiger football game. Uh, so again, wonderful time. The uh, the gentlemen that sit there with me in the booth, we have a, a clock operator uh, and then our, our, our guy that does the, the sound and all the computer sounds and the music do a phenomenal job. Those guys do. Uh, but a lot of fun. We look forward to seeing each other the six or seven times a year, and we've been kind of texting back and forth for the last few weeks, just being excited about it. Mainly excited to be able to go out there and, as you and I talk about on the podcast, give those kids an opportunity to hear their voices heard when they make that tackle or they break that run or catch that pass. It's such a, an awesome experience for those young people uh, each and every time I get to do that. That's my favorite part uh, of doing that job. Catch the game. Uh, watch some of the Chiefs. Chiefs game. The, the Chiefs-Texans in Kansas City last night. We also had a college football game. Miami, uh, which would have been the kickoff for the Power Five, uh, played hosted UAB and won that game 31 to 14. So again, a lot of sports last night uh, all around the country. Uh, going back to the coronavirus talk, the coronavirus put a halt to all those things in March. Fans in the stands in Miami, fans in the stands in uh, Kansas City. Uh, even though it was limited, it was good to see those fans uh, enjoying the game. My son gave me a stat last night. Do you realize yesterday all eight major sports played? First time this ever happened. All eight major sports. This weekend, it'll be uh, pro golf will be this weekend. Well, no, as well. pro golf started yesterday. So oh, it started golf, yesterday, yeah. Wow. We had hockey playoffs. You had basketball playoffs. You had college football. You had pro football. You had the U.S. Open. What am I missing? Um, I'm missing a couple, but he eight sport, eight major sports. Oh, it's soccer. Um, you had eight major sports play yesterday. Is the W? Is, do you consider the WNBA a major sport? That may have been the eighth one. That would have been eight. I had seven. That would have been eight. But all eight had a game or a match yesterday, which yeah. is just incredible. So uh, just a a plethora of just sports coming at you and hopefully you get be able to cut some of it i watched we were back and forth between the college football game and the, the nfl game like you were team that were playing in fantasy had a player last night unfortunately had a, the last touchdown the chiefs had which was unfortunate for us but that's okay because that's probably the only player that does anything for him this weekend again just good to have it back on of course you know with it being nfl week one a major college i guess power five week one it is week two for public schools in Mississippi. Uh, we, we talked about it all last week. We, we covered it on Tuesday, uh, a little bit of a roundup for the previous Friday. But uh, everybody, we're looking at our board here, everybody back in action 
except for South Haven and North Point. North Point's still on the, the team quarantine, and then South Haven has an official bye this week. But catch us up on last Friday's uh, South Haven stats, Derek. All right, so South Haven, if we covered it last week, I want to first of all thank West Pounds for reaching out and sending us the stats. Uh, he's done a really great job of, of getting some information and coaches. I encourage you. There have been a couple that have sent me information, uh, but I do want to make sure that we cover uh, the stats for last week from South Haven. Again, they are on a bye. Uh, the, the next game will be uh, obviously uh, next Friday night. But want to go over uh, the the Chargers were led by quarterback Jordan Hiller last night. Hibbler, excuse me. He was 17 of 31 for 166 yards, had a touchdown and an interception. Uh, the running back, uh, the leading running back was Jalen Mays, who had four rushes for 49 yards. And they had four wide receivers who had three or more catches. Isaiah Brevard had five receptions for 80 yards and a touchdown. He also had two touchdowns called back from what I was told were questionable calls. Derek Massey was five, had five receptions for 29 yards. Jeremiah Kimbrough, three receptions for 15 yards. And Kalen Jackson's three receptions for 27 yards. So, again, great job to the fellas last week. Uh, great, you know, they had a, a, that great win over uh, Center Hill, 14-7. to seven. And, again, look forward to uh, talking about the Chargers next week. Yeah, Derek, you mentioned questionable calls. <laughs> talking about our game last night for Hernando Middle School football, I'm pretty sure the lead official may have uh, – his flag, he didn't have a flag. He may have just used his iPhone to just throw a flag. <laughs> I don't know what it well, was. He the was electronic like, whistles, the well, electronic whistles now, so it wouldn't surprise well, me. Well, let me tell you, there were not electronic whistles last night. Us three in the – or we three, whatever, in the, in the booth, I think may have, may have officiated better than last night. But he would, he would throw his – beanbag or his iPhone or whatever it was, and that was his flag. But what was frustrating is when the teams would, would false start. You know, you do a false start sign by, you know, whatever, moving your arms a certain way, and he would do the offsides thing every time. Oh, uh, he went defensive. He, he went defensive. defensive on, yeah. There was a there was a holding call. There was a holding call in the fourth quarter. There was a holding call in the fourth quarter. That's what it was, and he gave the uh, the defensive side. So I think he may only know uh, one signal. <laughs> yes. So it's kind of hard no for flags and one signal. No, no flags. I think he uses iPhone or a set of keys or something like that. It was his flag for last night? But pretty interesting. So good stats by South Haven. Like you mentioned uh, the the last week, whenever we covered South Haven and told you about their team, wide receivers, just tons of talent. Um, I think the main one, like you said, had a couple of uh, questionable calls or callbacks. So only one last week. 14 to 7 but you can tell that was probably maybe a little bit more distant than there or they had some some uh, some highlights that got called back so we'll turn our attention to this week's high school games what we like we'd like to do we'd like to start on the east side of the county and kind of work our way back towards Hernando uh, this week's game on the far east side of, uh, uh, for the Center Hill Mustangs involves the Hernando Tigers Hernando will be traveling to Center Hill these two teams matched up two weeks ago in a scrimmage Hernando won kind of last minute or towards the end of the game won 15-14 you know Center Hill Mustangs hosting the Hernando Tigers uh, Derek you and I've talked about it uh, Center Hill kind of a, a younger team uh, playing Hernando who who came down to the wire last week against South Panola. Derek, I guess we'll go ahead and do our picks now. Derek, we we'll kind of go as we go. Goes back. I'm going to go with Hernando Tigers to win this one. I agree. Uh, Center Hill, Hernando both uh, coming off disappointing losses, uh, one score or less uh, for both uh, Center Hill and Hernando. Uh, so both entering the game one and one. Coach Wolf has the team going over there. Looking at it, yeah, knowing that they played in a scrimmage, I think that Hernando won that scrimmage 15-14. Of course, it was only a half and they you know, were playing as many players as they could play to try to get some experience. But I agree with you. I'm also going with Hernando. Yeah, we're going to take Hernando in that one, uh, see if Hernando can get off the off the schneid, as they say, and get up to a one-on-one record. Next game is going to be the Olive Branch Conquistadors hosting the Corinth yes. Warriors. Olive Branch Conquistadors uh, hosting the Corinth Warriors. So Corinth coming east a couple of, uh, west a couple of hours. Corinth's always a, a good, strong team. They have a, a – 
I know they're a 4A school, but I think they dress out as many kids as anybody uh, in North Mississippi and, and do a phenomenal job up there. Corinth is uh, 1-0 on the season. Olive Branch is 1-0 on the season. Derek, I'm taking Olive Branch in this one, going to pick the DeSoto County team. Uh, they're the larger school, so I, I feel like they pretty loaded this year. So I'm going to take Olive Branch over the Corinth Warriors. Corinth, as you mentioned, both teams are 1-0. Coming here, they had an impressive victory over Holly Springs last week. Things like 44 to 12. Holly Springs, though, not a traditional a power in Mississippi, and I believe they're about the same about, about 4A also. Again, they did have an impressive win, but they are having to travel. Uh, Olive Branch, as you mentioned, a couple classes larger. Plus, Olive Branch has, you know, has had a strong program uh, historically and also in the last three or four years. So I think Coach Bowling will have his uh, team ready, and I'm also going Keisters. Yeah, we'd like the Keisters to take care of the Warriors tonight, the battle there in Olive Branch. Next game up is going to be Lewisburg. Lewisburg is traveling to Arlington. At Arlington. Lewisburg at Arlington. All right, Lewisburg at Arlington tonight. So Lewisburg's got to go into Shelby County. We talked about it last week. Lewisburg brings back 100% of their um, 100% of their offensive production from last year. They they did win last week. I, I don't know how tough an opponent the Bahia Chiefs were, but they did win. So Lewisburg's 1-0. But they go to Arlington, and Arlington has already played three games. So Arlington's 2-1. So Arlington has had a lot of um, – they've hit a lot of people already. So um, I'm taking the Arlington Tigers on this one, Derek. I just like the, the fact that they've played more games, uh, the fact that they've got more uh, on film to look at and correct, and plus they're playing at home. So I'm going to go Arlington over the Lewisburg Patriots tonight. Yeah, Lewisburg, 44-13 win over Bahia last week again. As Matt mentioned, it was impressive. Arlington also coming off uh, – the win against DeSoto Central. So Arlington has played at DeSoto County School already, uh, beat DeSoto Central last week. And so now they will be going, uh, you know, having, excuse me, having Lewisburg come to them. The only loss so far is to ECS, which is traditional private school power uh, up in Tennessee. And so, again, I will also go with Arlington Tigers. All right, sounds good. Next game, DeSoto Central hosting the Pontotoc Warriors. That's DeSoto Central hosting the Pontotoc Warriors. So they'll be coming to town tonight, uh, coming out of Pontotoc. Derek, you and I have – a mutual friend who uh, uh, at, at one point was Miss Pontotoc. Miss, Miss Pontotoc. Yes. So uh, uh, shout out to her, and uh, that's a big deal. But anyway, uh, Pontotoc Warriors travel to DeSoto County tonight uh, to face DeSoto Central. Uh, we like to pull for the DeSoto County schools. DeSoto Central uh, Jaguars, I think, get the victory tonight over the Pontotoc Warriors. Yeah, DeSoto Central, again, coming off a 14-24 loss to Arlington last week. They were led by uh, Jason Curry, uh, who was 9 of 18 for 73 yards. The couple, they're led by a couple of running backs this year, Matt, uh, who had good games in the first game. Marquise Field had 11 rushes for 55 yards and a touchdown. Richard Coleman had nine rushes for 50 yards and a touchdown. And their leading wide receiver last week, and I apologize, Brandon Titanois, he was, had seven receptions for 57 yards. So, uh, again, they, it was a tough team they played. We just mentioned how you know, tough Arlington is. They played a couple games. They have a, just, a, uh, I think, a couple-point loss to ECS. So I think that DeSoto Central is going to have a good season. I think they just got off, you know, start with a, a tough team. And I think that, again, Coach Ford will have the team ready. I also picked the Jaguars. Yeah, we're going to take the Jaguars. Pontotoc has to travel up. Uh, just a quick fact, Derek, and most people, some of our listeners may not know, DeSoto Central actually has the only Jumbotron in DeSoto County. Very nice. Which uh, I think was put in several years ago, and it's not as jumbo as, as some of the other things that we've, we've seen lately, but they do have a, a screen there at the field that would be considered pretty nice for a, a high school stadium. Up next, we got the Lake Comrade Gators hosting the Horn Lake Eagles. Lake Comrade 
out there in the Delta. Uh, I say in the Delta. I mean, it's pretty flat out there. So well, it's, it's, it's down off the bluff. Yeah, it's off the bluff. That's what I'm saying. So Lake Comrant hosting the Horn Lake Eagles. Horn Lake 0-1 on the season. Lost to Lafayette. Horn Lake, I do believe, might struggle this year. Horn Lake's, uh, I think, a fairly young team, and I think they may have some struggles to get them started. But Lake Comrant Gators uh, hosting the Horn Lake Eagles, and I am picking the Lake Comrant Gators to, to move to 2-0 and on the season. Beat Sanitobia last week. I'm picking them to go to 2-0. and Matt, I also picked the Gators. Uh, again, Horn Lake. You know, they are in rebuilding season. Uh, I think they just have a, a couple of returning stars on each side of the ball. So just, you know, again, uh, schools go through these cycles. Uh, they'll learn. I think it'll be a lot of good playing time for these kids, some of the younger kids, be able to continue to get better each week. Uh, but I'm also, again, with Lake Cormorant, with, with the district that they're playing in, the, the, you know, they do have uh, several more returning starters. And the, uh, you know, just the, the coming off, you know, five years of playoff runs, I'll also be going with the Gators. Exactly. So we're going to take Lake Comrade there. Again, like we mentioned a second ago, uh, 10 teams we really care, uh, covered. The Soto County teams, we, we pay attention to Magnolia Heights down in Sanatobia because they have a lot of Soto County kids. And the North Point right there in the heart of South Haven, uh, actually, again, uh, going to be on a, a bye again this week. So only covering eight teams to, uh, this week. Our last game to look at, uh, Magnolia Heights traveled to Heritage last week and uh, and lost 35-21. So Magnolia Heights was 2-1 on the season and traveled to uh, Columbus and could not get the victory. So Moved to two and one tonight. They play Startville Academy. So the Startville Academy. So um, I'm going with the Chiefs. We're gonna we're gonna keep riding the Chiefs. I feel like they have a good team, highly rated in the in the private school ranks in Mississippi. I think they'll get back uh, back on the horse uh, tonight and uh, and get it done. Both these teams are in the MAIS 5A. So this is the uh, second highest classification for the private schools. MAIS 5A. They're both uh, so they're the same size schools. Again, different districts, but same size schools. Magnolia Heights versus Starkville. Uh, they're number four. Oh, excuse me, that's a division game. They are in the same district. Uh, this does reach down to Starkville. So this is a division game. Uh, this is actually number four versus number five uh, in 5A. Very similar schools. Uh, Magnolia Heights two and one. Starkville one and one. So again, should be a good matchup. Uh, if you're in around the area, if you're in Sanatobia, might want to go out and try to catch that game. Uh, you know, with 25% capacity, more people are allowed into the stadium. So again, you know, hopefully you can be able to attend that if you're down there. But you should be able to see a game. But as with as you, I'm going with the Chiefs. Going with the Chiefs, and like like Derek said, if you're down in Sanatobia, seven o'clock on a on a Friday night, uh, not a not much, not many things better than going out to a high school football game and getting an opportunity to watch those kids. So just to recap, Center Hill hosting Hernando. We took the Hernando Tigers. Olive Branch hosting. Corinth Warriors. We took Olive Branch. Lewisburg travels to Arlington, Tennessee to take on the Tigers. We're picking the Arlington Tigers mainly based off of their experience so far this year, having played three games. DeSoto Central hosting the Pontotoc Warriors, picking the DeSoto County team right there, DeSoto Central. And Lake Comrade hosting the Horn Lake Eagles, two teams in the county battling it out uh, early in the season. We're taking the Gators there. And then Magnolia Heights hosting Starkville Academy in Sanatobia. We're going to take the Magnolia Heights Chiefs. But Derek, the main way, the best way to figure out, you know, a more fun way to um, to figure out who we like is going to be the, the, the mascot battle. Mascot battle royale. Last week we were 3-0 and last week in our picks. This week we turned to three games. We're going to pick uh, well, actually, we're going to pick four games this week. First game, Olive Branch Conquistadors against the Corinth Warriors. Conquistador against a Warrior. A conquistador is going to be an explorer, right? An explorer-type situation. Yeah, that's a, a Spanish. A Spanish explorer. There you go. Much like Hernando de Soto, or that's exactly what Hernando de Soto was. Yeah, that's what he was. What he was. He was one of the main conquistadors. And uh, just based off of, I mean, you and I joked about it off air, but based off of historical uh, precedent, we, we, we have to pick the conquistadors to win this one. I mean, again, Hernando Cortez, mid 1500s, early 1500s, goes to Mexico, to the capital, sees what he wants. There's a lot of gold there, a lot of, you know, just beautiful jewels. You've got Montezuma, 
ruling over the the Aztec uh, Empire. Two years later, what happens? Spanish win. I mean, it's you know you had they have obviously better armor. Uh, they had, you know, a lot of uh, weaponry that the uh, Aztecs, unfortunately, did not have. And they also had something called smallpox, which pretty much wiped out two-thirds uh, of the Aztec people. And so when, you, you know, when your people are dying and cannot fight, there's not much way you can win. I'm not saying that Olive Branch is going to give the virus to, to Corinth to Correct. win this game. Yes, yes. Uh, but I am saying that uh, just based on, as you said, historical pre- precedents, we are going to go conquistadors, unfortunately, over the Warriors. So we're going keisters over the Warriors. Next up, Arlington Tigers against the Lewisburg Patriots. Mascots of this of this game, the Arlington Tigers against the Lewisburg Patriots. We're going Tigers over Patriots. That's pretty well. Here's the deal: he's got the you got the musket. The Patriots are going to have the musket. They're going to have the um, they got one shot. They got one shot. They I got, mean, do, do we go one? We can go Hamilton one shot, or we can go Eminem. Eminem one shot. So we got Hamilton one shot, Eminem one shot. After that, it's all Tigers. Because once you shoot, I've seen the movies. Yeah. The the reloading process one shot. is tremendous. <laughs> you got one That's shot. all you got. You're going to the bayonet pretty early. It's, okay? it's going to come in. You That's got it. one shot. It's a five-minute reload. Tigers coming at you. I mean, you, I guess you could try to it's stab, over. but it's over. No. It's over. Tiger over a Patriot all day long. If you miss, if you shoot and miss, ball game. Tiger's on you. By the time you get your little uh, whatever, gunpowder out and gunpowder, do all that kind of stuff. You got to drop yeah. the ball in there. You got to shove yeah. it down in there. I yeah. Mean, Yep. I've seen the Mel Gibson movie. That's it. Now, Mel Gibson versus the Tiger. The Mel Gibson Patriot might be pretty good. I mean, yeah, Mel Gibson, uh, if you have uh, my boy from Australia, Gladiator. I mean, you Russell know. Russell Crowe, yeah. Russell Crowe coming at you. Eh, yeah. they, better chance. But if we're talking about just a normal Patriot and some of the Minutemen, I, I'm, unless it's a direct headshot, you're in trouble. Yeah, there, a lot of them were like farmers and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah. yeah. So, we're going Tigers over the Patriots in the mascot battle there. Next up. Pretty easy win right here. We're going to go fairly simple. Uh, Gators versus the Eagles. Now, this would be pretty rare because an Eagle is a pretty smart bird, and he's not going to – rarely – they're not going to mix it up very much. It's pretty rare. However, like we say with most of the Lake Comerat games, if the Gator can get you to the water, that's the main thing. Well, I mean, like, Gators in the water, Eagles in the air, they're probably never going to meet. Then, However, if you put them in but a they cage – But they do tonight. If you put them in a cage, yes, if you put them in a 50 – Two yard, I mean, fifty-seven yard by a hundred yard cage, which it'll be tonight. Gator wins a hundred out of a hundred times. Even even if you put them in that size cage, they're rarely going to mess with each other anyway. They're not going to mess with each other. It depends <laughs> on how tall it is. At some point, the eagle's going to have to land. It's a gator. Yeah, it's a gator. Yeah, you got to go with a gator. The, over the an eagle, eagle. I mean, I guess he could peck at him. He's got some talons. No effect. Uh, it's a gator. All right, gator all day. So gator over the eagles there. Uh, last one, the Starkville Academy Vols, which stands for Volunteers. Which obviously you think Volunteers, you're thinking. Uh, what David Crockett, Daniel Daniel Boone, Daniel those Boone. type people, yeah, not, yeah, those 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 kind of cats against the Magnolia Heights Chiefs. Just in in and like you said, put them in a cage. They're going to battle. Who's going to win? That volunteer's got to go with. He's got that one shot opportunity type situation. Uh, you know, if you get in close to him, you got the bayonet thing, almost like a patriot. But I'm, I'm going to take the Chiefs just off of sheer. Uh, Brutality I mean, just, and, and and toughness. And again, you know, they they could have guns. I mean, they they could they've got acquired guns. They've got spears. I mean, that's long distance. They got tomahawks. That's it. Um, you know, if if you lose, you will be scalped. That's it. I, I'm I'm chiefs. Okay, I'm so, up with chiefs. Yeah. So just just so we're we're clear, the ma- mascot battle of the week. We got the Keisters over the Warriors. The Tigers will beat the Patriots. The Gators would beat the Eagles, and the Chiefs would beat the Vols in a mascot battle in a cage if they were to actually fight. And we joke around about that, but a lot of people have actually told me that's one of their favorite segments of the the, the week on on our two shows each week uh, about the mascot battle. To hear us talk about that, so uh, just a wonderful, uh, a fun time to to discuss that. And again, we wish the nothing but the best to these young people tonight. To 
uh, to, to play sports, uh, going out to represent their community on, on the gridiron tonight. And we just want to wish them good luck and to all the administrators and so forth that are making this happen and continuing each and every Friday night. Uh, we want to thank you for that. And again, prayers out to all the, the players playing, uh, to the coaches, just to, you know, for safety. Uh, both in you know for virus purposes for just you know other injury purposes and again we just you know, wish you luck you know, get outside do what you enjoy you know and just enjoy the fellows enjoy the camaraderie and uh, coaches thank you for all that you do to get these guys ready not only for the game tonight but the game of life and we just appreciate uh, everything that you do find us on Facebook at UTW Podcast that's UTW Podcast on Facebook on Instagram at UTW Podcast and on Twitter at UTW Pod that's UTW Pod on Twitter uh, most of all wherever you're listening to this podcast right now please hit the subscribe button please hit the subscribe button so that can grow our our, our listener um, list that can grow our listener volume uh, and that helps us with advertisers when we when we're able to visit with them if you're interested in advertising on the UTW podcast please email us at underthewatertowerinfo at gmail.com. That's underthewatertowerinfo at gmail.com. Uh, Derek, just turning to uh, today's date, uh, you and I, again, talked about it uh, off air. I don't know if you thought about this last night or thought about it at all. Uh, 9-11 uh, in 2001, uh, you and I were together then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I were together then. My wife and I had moved back from Nashville. We uh, we, we had just gotten married a month earlier, uh, and we were living with uh, you and your wife in Olive Branch while we had a, a home being built in Olive Branch. So we were living with you guys. And the date is, is a, a very somber time for both of us. Uh, the date is a, uh, a date of remembrance of that day uh, for, for one another. Um, hard to believe 19 years later we'd be sitting here again still a part of each other's lives and, and so forth because that no one our age or no one that can remember that will will ever forget where they were during that time uh, just a a beautiful september day the blue skies were so pretty i watched some uh, some stuff some coverage last night about 9 11 that's one thing that people continue to talk about just how beautiful the day was in new york city and how quickly it turned uh it just turned disastrous and, and turned into um, for what some people would, would say just like a war zone. I do remember that, and, and y'all were uh, staying with us as your house was being finished. And when I heard about it, I was living, as you said, in Isle Branch, and I worked at a small bank on st- or a small branch on State Line Road. Uh, and so it was, you know, from Isle Branch uh, to State Line Road, close to 51. That's a pretty decent drive. So I had a good 25-minute drive every morning, you know, down Goodman Road, you know, cutting up uh, usually on the interstate and then getting on State Line Road. And so when I was listening to that's back then I listened to the Howard Stern Show. I believe it was on 92.9, which is now a sports station. Mm-hmm. But back then it was uh, Howard Stern came on for the first, I guess, two or three hours of the day. And I was listening to it on the way in. And I guess I was at the stoplight at Getwell. When, the fir- when they announced the first plane hitting. Now, it probably had hit a couple minutes before that. I'm not sure the exact time. It was 7.50-ish our time, I guess. I remember sitting at the stoplight at Getwell uh, in Goodman, uh, heading west, and it came on, and they said something about a small plane. They thought it was a passenger plane. They had hit the tower, and they were just kind of, I think Robin or somebody commented, hey, it, that's sad. What a terrible thing. Must have got off. Maybe something happened with the you know, electronics. Maybe he passed out at the, you know, at the wheel or whatever. And then a little, they started talking a little more, and they said, no, we don't think it's a passenger plane. We think it's a little larger than that. And then as I'm pulling, so I'm driving, and they're kind of, as everybody was, trying to figure out what's happening. And then as I'm pulling into the parking lot, so 15 or so minutes later, 10 or 15 minutes later, I'm pulling in a little after 8 o'clock, the second plane hit. And they said that as I'm pulling in. And I think they did not know what was going on. Maybe, maybe somebody in the, in the studio had an idea that this was you know, some type of attack. But they quickly changed from, oh, that's terrible, oh, it's horrible, to, 
what's going on and it kind of there were there were moments of silence that never happened on the Stalwart night they were just like somebody would say something and it was kind of silent and so i immediately rushed in and half the people the tellers and a couple csrs were already there i remember half of them kind of were keeping up with it and saying hey what's going on in new york and the other ones were like what are you talking about so we're all kind of catching each other up we had a small tv in the break room immediately went to the break room and then of course that consumed us for the next week sure um that's i mean i I don't remember alone that i closed that week or anybody i talked to but i remember specifically watching it all day at work i'm gonna be honest didn't get much work done that week i don't know if anybody did close then the banks close they closed at some point and i don't you know it's sad because i don't actually remember what day it was of the week um i do know that we had a uh, a day off or we had some time uh, I had a real good boss um, back, back then, Richard Taylor. He was a, a great boss, and, and he was, you know, I mean, uh, the biggest uh, a patriot that you could that you could you know want. And uh, he just you know really was uh, you know did a very good job. Just cons- concerned about our mental well being, about what was going on. Allowed us to watch the TV, kept it on. And so again, I think it was just a uh, just a somber time, and, and just you know not knowing what's going on. And unfortunately, something like that really brought the country together. Sure. Uh, now you know I'm not saying for how long that you know it was you know for about, probably about you know six months to a year. We really a lot of patriotic songs came out, a lot of you know, things like that, and I, I hate that something like that took it to come together. And of course we're probably as far apart now as we ever been, uh, even before that. And so you know it just uh, but it's just a, a somber reminder of people that lost their lives. And so again, thank you to all the people who are out there, all the the, the frontline workers. Uh, we just you know just respect. Um, we just our prayers. Uh, our thanks for all that you do, uh, facing things you know every day that we can't possibly imagine. You and I, are, and definitely this podcast, will 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 continue to just honor those people that uh, when when the going gets tough, I mean they they're going towards it. And that was one of the main things that I'll I'll never forget is whenever we did come back together, and, and my wife actually was uh, substitute teaching. Uh, we were fresh out of college, or fairly fresh out of college, but she was substitute teaching at Olive Branch High School that day. And so she tells all the story, or she talks about being around the kids and how they, they put it on the television and, and they, they, it begins to, to be more and more like what it was being a terrorist attack and what they were just kind of watching. And then it grew into uh, scenes where people were, were jumping from the tower and so forth and, and ending their lives. Um, I mean, just, just an amazing time. It's an amazing time in American history. Tough time, but, but it definitely needs to be a time of remembrance uh, each and every year, in my opinion. My opinion, we don't focus on 9-11 as much as we should, uh, just to remind us what it was like that day and, and the, the horrible things that, that, that happened that day. But again, like you said, the, the patriotic spirit that came out of that. We're not there right now. Especially in election year, we're not there right now. There's numerous things that we could talk about uh, on this podcast that we're, we're choosing not to talk about to discuss and so forth. But I just, if, if you have children, uh, whether they be, I don't know, five years old, I mean, you probably can't talk about with my five-year-old, but we're taking a trip today to Nashville. And I do plan on maybe when she goes to bed tonight, maybe sitting around the television a little bit or, or even just talking with my 13-year-old and 16-year-old to discuss 9-11 uh, more and more with them, remind them what it felt like or what we felt like uh, when that happened because we, we can't let these kids just think that this amazing, wonderful country we live in to take it for granted. Yeah, when I, mean, when I was young, you know, of course, you know, I guess it's a solid Generation X. And so, you know, my moment was the Challenger moment. Sure. You know, when I was a kid, sixth grade, again, in the library, watching it live. And just, you know, just how that hits you. Uh, and then, of course, the, the, the people that now are listening to this that are in their early to mid-30s, I mean, your moment was this. I mean, you were probably about the same age I was when the Challenger happened, when this happened. And uh, it's just, you know, this has kind of shaped probably a lot of what you thought. 
uh, you know, and just, you know, of course, also the people that are, you know, just after this, of course, five, six years later was the recession. So a lot of that has shaped, you know, maybe you don't subconsciously who you are. And you know, the, the children born that year are now freshmen in college. So they, you know, they have certain moments. Obviously, there's been terrible things that have happened, especially over the last year. But, you know, that, that seminal moment where everything just stops, um, you know, they, they need to know about it, as you said. I mean, my, my kids, they weren't born yet. And so it's just, you know, making them understand, you know, they see it, you know, they, they don't know what New York likes with, you know, seeing two towers in the background. When you watch an old movie and you see the Twin Towers in the background, they don't understand this, that kind of that gut drop or that, that gut punch when you see that. And um, so I think it is important. I, I, I plan to do the same. I kind of mentioned to my daughter this morning when we were leaving and she said, yeah, that's great. It wasn't really sarcastically. She was just, you know, she just doesn't understand. And I think that that's just having that conversation. So, again, I'm going to make a point to do it also. And, again, I'm not you – know, there'll be a 20-year anniversary next year, so I'm sure they'll make a big deal. Of sure. course, you know, six years from now we'll have 25, which, if, you know, that's all. Which always. both of our children, that'd be their senior years, are graduating. Senior years. Yeah, senior uh, years. So, again, it's just – I'm sure they'll be th- – so please find something today. Watch it. Just remember uh, you know, a silent moment, whether, you know, if, if you pray, a silent moment of prayer, a silent moment of meditation, just to think about it and remember for all those people who lost their lives needlessly, those that gave their lives to try to, you know, to try to make things better, uh, and then those who have, you know, suffered since then, whether it be emotionally, uh, whether it be physically, uh, you know, people that have unfortunately died First of cancer. First responders and stuff, yeah. First responders. So, again, just take some time uh, just out of your day just to have a moment and just reflect uh you know about them their families and just the the thankfulness that we have that there are people that want to help i think one thing to to express to my children and your children you know right now what we've seen the last 90 days 100 100 days in this country is we're seeing americans hating each other americans battling each other americans uh, being pulled in different directions black white uh democrat republican pulled in different directions and 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 really shown hate Hatred for each other, and what we don't realize, or what our kids don't realize at that age, you know, twenty-five and under, is just how how uh, much they're being used, and how much money is being made, and and so forth. But what I want to express to my kids about nine eleven was, hey, this was a, a whole different ideological, cultural, uh, radical side of a religion that hates the American West, that hates the Western world. It hates everything about us, black, white, all the stuff that we fight about right now. It hates the freedom we have. It hates the fact that we can go to the grocery store and get the food we want. It hates the fact that we can go see a movie whenever we want. It hates the fact that we can go and deposit and withdraw money any way we want. It hates the fact that women can vote. It hates the fact that women can work. It hates the fact that women can do anything. That radical side of that religion. The radical side. The radical side. The radical side. Okay, I will say that. The radical side. And that's what I want my kids to understand is like, hey, um, you know, 16-year-old daughter, those things that you think I'm crazy about or maybe I'm too conservative or whatever, well, this... The people that attacked us on 9-11, they attacked us to get back at us for those things, those things they hate. And um, that's just a big eye-opening experience there. But um, I, like I texted you last night, Derek, 9-11 is an important day to, to me, of course. And, and we were together on that day. So uh, I figured 19 years later, uh, we'd give a quick synopsis of, of our thoughts and our feelings on it. And, and certainly to uh, to say that this little small podcast that you and I have right here, uh, we're definitely going to... Um, going to remember those fallen people, uh, the people that lost their lives that day to their families, of course, uh, that we're praying for you and, and we'll never forget. Couldn't say it better myself. So again, appreciate everybody uh, joining us today. Appreciate the Justice Josiah Coleman coming on, taking time out of his busy schedule to sit down with us. And again, look um, forward to more of those uh, in the future. I'm Matt. And I'm Derek. Join us next time under the Water Tower. <laughs>